and welcome to a special episode of The Rogues in the House, a podcast focused on the genre and the love of all things sword and sorcery, delivered with 100% enthusiasm by self-proclaimed experts. So, don your fur diapers and chainmail bikinis, because there's a lot of rogues in the house. <laughs> welcome, gentlemen. Yeah, so which of you are wearing the chainmail bikinis? <laughs> Uh, okay, fine. I'll do it. I'll wear the chainmail bikini. <laughs> that's that's Scott Odin, everyone. Um, oh my god! And he's looking good. Like he's he's really got fit for the occasion. Uh, it's... Uh, the chainmail is hiding all the parts that need to be hidden, <laughs> <laughs> and it's hiding in the hair. But it's all good. So. <laughs> oh my uh, gosh! So yeah, here we are, rogues in the house, back at it. Uh, we basically called in um, called in some friends who are also experts on this particular subject of sword and sorcery and heroic fantasy. And in fact, those uh, fuzzy genre labels are something we're going to focus on specifically tonight. This kind of originated uh, in the old Whetstone Discord. If you're not a jerk, uh, come join us there, but we will not abide weirdos. And uh, well, actually we'll take weirdos, but not like um, uh, a-holes. We won't take those. <laughs> and I'm not even the guy who admins it. So yeah. I don't know, maybe you can slip through. But a, a topic came up. Uh, we're often discussing the genre itself, the label um, and what that means. And man, it's a bit of a maze. And there's a lot of things to kind of talk about. So we will get to that. We're going to forego the bizarre of the bizarre. But before we do, I just want to thank all of our listeners. Um, our numbers are going up. We got new people popping in and listening. So that's fantastic. Um, and we also, uh, well, we got a special gift today, didn't we, Dean? Well, not today, but recently. Yes, very recently. I want to... Um point out that one of our listeners his name is sam j royale that's r-o-y-a-l-e he contacted matt and said hey i've got something for you guys and i'd like to mail it to you well i happened to be the lucky guy that was in the middle of the three of us and so he mailed us three copies of his self-published and self-created uh, i mean it's all original art it's a comic book or a graphic novel uh it's called dishoom that's d-i-s H-O-O-M, and it's done by Sam J. Royale. You can find him on Facebook. But what's really kind of cool is that he sent this very lovely letter that, you know, he really enjoys listening to the podcast, and he included some really cool original art. On the bottom of the letter, I'm not sure exactly what that is, but it's a pretty cool-looking yeah. critter. It's kind of a bat creature. It's cool. Um, very, very cool. Mm -hmm. The artwork in the comic book is very good, and in addition to that, he put some original art on the uh, envelopes that he sent us to him. We've got the Death Dealer, we've got Conan, and we've got Matt's second favorite character from the He-Man universe, and we've been told to keep this at a minimum. Skeletor. Now, <laughs> yeah, number actually... one is a stinker, or <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. I gotta listen. I got Howard blasted me the other day for it. He was he was uh, razzing me. I got Chromecast people razzing me about it, <laughs> and John Fultz just commented on our Facebook page about how I need to keep it to a minimum. 
it's not my fault i have the power i don't know what to tell you guys Uh, regardless uh we want to thank sam for sending that stuff and at some point the rogues will see each other and i will hand them to them so they have a copy of this original artwork and such but thank you sam and if anybody's interested in seeing it i think you can find him on facebook at sam j royale it's well done artwork yeah it's rad Uh, and i mean obviously we love receiving things in the mail that's wicked Mm mm-hmm um and sam reached out to me uh via our instagram page which is at rogues in the house i basically just share art uh so if you're not on there and you're on instagram please join us so i think we've got to introduce our guests we've only introduced uh orc number one here which is uh scott odin hi scott what's going on not much how's things up in the frozen north i mean pretty good but also very frozen i I had been getting cocky about uh, our winters being quite nice uh, over the last several while. I was like, yeah, climate change for the wind. Um, <laughs> but this winter sucks. Like it's every day there's some kind of crap going on. Uh, well, not to rub it in, but I got my air conditioner on. So, Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that rubs it in for me. Anytime I actually have to put an air conditioner on, it's like agony. There's a bad scene outside, but I don't know. <laughs> Bread in the cold. <laughs> We, we have to live on these. If we don't have them, we'll die. Yeah. <laughs> so for those who don't know, Scott is a writer. Um, he has, I mean, God, he's done a lot. Um, recently, he's working on his series of books. Do you have a name for your trilogy yet? Have you? Uh, right now, I just call it the Grimner Saga. Yeah, the Grimner Saga. Okay. So mm-hmm. the Grimner Saga, uh, new book is coming out when? October 23rd of 2023, provided I get it finished in time. Okay. Well, yeah, you got to get on that. 2023? 2020. Yes, yes. Did you not hear the whooshing sound of the deadline as it went by? (laughs) Publishing moves at the speed of slow. It just, uh, you can have a book completely done. It'll take a year and a half sometimes to get out. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it took two years for them to actually get a gathering of Raven out after I finished it. So so they yeah. sat on it for a year before they even edited it. So, Do, do you guys find that this is, as you know, someone who took up this writing game just only a handful of years ago, I find <laughs> when something uh, is, is purchased and you sell, you sell it and it's going to be published, does it drive you crazy in the interim time where like, like, Ooh, I would have changed this. Ooh, I would have edited that. Oh my God. I shouldn't have looked at that line. No, you, uh, you really Howard, you get too busy with the next thing that you're working on. What drives you crazy is the fact that it hasn't appeared yet. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually I should say, yeah, I do know what that's like. Cause <laughs> I bet you do tons of projects. It's just <laughs> always gaming. And then it does get published. I'm like, Oh, that was two years ago me that's no good but hey yeah I, I don't have trouble with uh if i wrote it two years ago and i read it now it's still okay it's publishable i'm happy with it but that's because so. you're older and more experienced i don't i don't ever like to go back and reread it <laughs> i've never reread anything that i've written unless i absolutely had to for to write something based off of it i've never reread my books once i finish editing them they're done I don't you're, you're moving for the next thing. Now I will revise it and revise it and revise it up until uh, delivery time, trying yeah. to get every last little thing right. But interesting. Uh, well, Howard's here too. Howard Andrew Jones, return of the show for the third time, I think. 
I think you are now the uh, most returning guest. I'm still the longest interview you had, though. So you are, just... yes. <laughs> we chatted for quite a time there. Like an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, and those those were in the early days of the Rogues podcast, so it's oh, it was very much appreciated you coming on. Yeah, I keep an eye on those things. I got to have some claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, well, come here where it's... Uh... It's all red carpets. Uh, Howard is, uh, I mean, we've introduced Howard before. Howard is an author. He is an editor of Tales from the Magician's Skull. He's a big gamer. Um, Howard, what do you want people to be looking into uh, in regards to your work at this place in time? Well, the Ringsworn trilogy, which is sword and sorcery disguised as epic fantasy, is still on most bookstore shelves. And of course, there's Desert of Souls, which I wish was still on all bookstore shelves. Um, and, of course, there's the most recent issue of Tales from the Dishes Skull, um, which has just come out and is being delivered. And uh, I suppose all the issues that are still in print, uh, if people don't have them, they should run out and snag them because uh, we are awfully proud of our Sword and Sorcery-centric magazine. Mm-hmm. Sword and Sorcery-flavored magazine. Uh it's not just centric. I mean, that is the flavor. It's not a special sword and sorcery issue. Every issue is a special sword and sorcery issue. Um, and, and sword and sorcery is special. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what the skull would tell you himself. So, yeah, all of those things. Buy my books. Buy my magazine. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Oh. That's the way you hawk it, man. That's what I do. Yeah. Back with the root beer, and you're like, (laughs) yeah. There's a lot of authors who use that line, buy my books. Yeah. Because it gets right to the point. I like brevity too. (laughs) (laughs) And once again, uh, this is uh, a returning guest who was on only a fjort, short few, a fjort short, (laughs) a short few episodes ago. And it's. Mr. Deathstalker 2, <laughs> uh, Brian Murphy. Yes, yeah. probably the one guy that we probably laughed the most with in any uh, yeah. interview. Uh, I, if you guys said you don't go back and listen and read your own writing, I went back and listened to some of that podcast and I was embarrassed because I was just <laughs> laughing the whole freaking show. And I'm probably going to do it again, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's who I am. It's maybe a nervous tick. I don't know. You know, <laughs> I re-listened to the episode too. And it, it was probably the most, it wasn't just you. We were all losing our minds Yeah, uh, because Deathstalker T O O T W O has that power. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we all became like, uh, Teenage boys with too many hormones. Yeah. <laughs> well, we did discover that Death Starker 2 is at the dead center of sword and sorcery, and everything else is adjacent to it, including Robert E. Howard. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I'm, I'm going to Death Starker 2 days uh, in, uh, in June this year, I think. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, my God. Uh, so, I, but it, in short, buy Brian's book. Um, yes. Buy my I mean, really, uh, if you're into the discourse around Sword and Sorcery, I feel like it is a necessary title for you to buy. He also does tons of essays on, is it the Silver Key? Silverkey.blogspot.com. Yeah, not necessarily essays, but entries, articles. Yeah, um, posts here and there when I can. I write for DMR Books, uh, their their blog. Mm-hmm. I write for the 
for the Tales from the Magician Skull blog with the good Bill Ward, who's the editor over there. And Both excellent blogs. Yeah. Great and, spots. Yeah. Uh, you know. Brian, you realized that you were nominated for uh, one of the categories at Howard Days? I was. I was nominated for two of them. I just want to say that. Too. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yes, you were. My mistake. Yes. My um, mistake. Best uh, Emerging Scholar, and uh, which is flattering. Um, I don't know if I consider myself a scholar. I'm just a fan and a guy who likes to write about this stuff, but also uh, best essay, which was up on DMR books. Mm-hmm. Sick. Um, you know, you know who yeah. else was nominated for an award? Scott Odin. Skeletor, Scott it? Odin was as well. We <laughs> I think we're in the same category with best essay. Uh-oh, oh, really? We're have to throw down. We're going to have to borrow some of Dean's weapons from his armory and <laughs> go at it here. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like uh, if I, <laughs> By proxy, I might get sort of a shaving of an award when Jason Waltz wins the award for um, Robert E. Howard Changed My Life, which is where Mm -hmm. Scott's uh, essay Mm -hmm. comes from, which is obviously better than mine because this was nominated for an award. Yeah, I owe that book a review. It's 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 awesome. Um, And I'm going to I'm going to stuff the ballot box because it's it's fully deserving of an award. Yeah, I I feel like that one needs to win in that category just because uh, three of us are in it right here, right now, and that's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. Howard, how do you have an essay in there too? I do. It had a lot of verbs in it. A lot of verbs. Some of them conjugated. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, okay. Speaking of Howard Days, uh, I'm really close to attending this year. Like, it's closer than I've ever been, so it might actually happen. I'm right um, there with you. Yeah, you might actually be right there with me. <laughs> literally, yes. <laughs> yeah, literally. Uh, uh, I'm not sharing a bed with you. No, we don't We do not do that. We don't do that on the... <laughs> the the sh- Rogue's house has many rooms. Yes. If, yes. if the okay. dates line up, I'm going to be there as well. Although That's I wicked. Mean, yeah, I, I, I have to go. I've never been. And I, think I need to make a pilgrimage one of these years myself. I yeah. I really wanted to go the year of Roy Thomas was going to be yeah, there. Yeah, same. Yeah. I've been twice. So yeah. this yeah. year, the theme is basically Robert E. Howard's influence on gaming. Um, being what my side job is, I feel like if I'm going to do it, it needs to be this year. So yeah. we shall see. Uh, so in short, I just want to uh, do a summary here. Buy Flame and Crimson for Brian. Buy Howard's Ringsworn Trilogy and support the Magician's Skull because y- you want new age. And yes, you do. We're going to get into that. But you want new sword and sorcery in short format in a beautiful pulp style magazine. Mm-hmm. So buy that. And uh, buy Scott's Orc books, which are the Grimner Saga. Yeah. Okay. I know, I, I know we're not doing the bizarre of the bizarre, but mm-hmm. I, I did just um, start reading. Finally, I'm getting caught up, Howard, on some back issues of Tales of the Magician Skull. So I started reading issue six um, and I read John Hawking's story, uh, Calacast's Woman. I read your story, The Feathered Shroud. And I've read Guilty Creatures by Nathan Long, which is a authorized tale of Faffer and the Grey Mouser. Yeah. Really enjoyed those three stories i'm a little bit over halfway through issue six and i've got issue seven here newly minted in front of me so i'm getting caught up i'm doing my part to read and i'm going to review some of this new sword and sorcery because it deserves it wonderful thank you yeah 
Reviews, reviews, reviews. Are they are very important, folks? I'm guilty because I don't write enough of them myself. But um, if you really want to do some good and uh, help the community out, the leaving of reviews on Amazon is key. Yes, it is. Not just reviews, though. You also need to talk about it in places besides Amazon, besides Goodreads. You need if you have a blog, blog about it. If you have an Instagram, if you have a TikTok, you know, those help just as much. So. Mm. Yeah, even if you're not making it a hashtag, make it a hashtag in spirit. Get yeah. that sort of circulation going, right? Yeah. Which kind of segues into the why we're here. Yes, I think it does. Dean, you want to like, okay, so I don't know. Do you want to introduce this concept or do you want to start firing questions? Okay, so yeah, let's introduce. This is more of a roundtable sort of thing. And my mm-hmm. position here will simply to be asking questions. And with the four of you answering, hopefully we don't talk over one another, you know, uh, in some way, shape or form, let each of you have your say before the next one, you know, steps in. Um, but I'm just, I'm just going to throw out some questions about sword and sorcery, the, the genre and, you know, kind of the stuff that's going on with it or what we kind of want to hope is going on with it and things like that. So I'm not going to have any input unless I see something that I can input. I'm not an author, so I don't feel that I am up to that pay grade. You know, that's it, beyond my pay grade. So um, I'm just oh, going to go ahead and start. And any of you can answer. I mean, you know, whoever wants to start answering, go for it. Does that sound like a good format? I like Sounds it, good. Yeah, but yeah, you're just as qualified as us, man. Just because we throw words on pages doesn't mean you – know, if you read and love the stuff um, – Fair. That's fair. That's fair. But I feel like in this position, I'm best set as the uh, the person running the interview. Sure. I, I, I think the consumer uh, perspective is important in this because I, anyways, I think that'll kind of come up organically throughout okay. this. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that, like, I think I started alluding to this earlier. There was a, the genesis of this was in a whetstone discord. And we were talking about like, the topic comes up a lot about sword and sorcery as a genre label. And there's, baggage and there is uh differing opinions on that and so we decided we wanted to assemble a round table with some folks in the know who have dogs in the fight um and here we are all right so let's start this fight <laughs> it's okay. this is not aggressive the bell. no it's not aggressive no yeah. we need we need one of the ladies from death star too with a ring cards for a while yeah <laughs> I had to drop that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm glad you did. I, I'm definitely finding one for the next interview. Okay, here we go. So uh, the first question that we've got here is, what do you see the state of sword and sorcery at currently? What is the state of sur- sword and sorcery currently? Anybody have any thoughts on that? I, I, can, sus- I suspect I we in. do. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get uh, Deathstalker 2 opinion right here. All right. Well, I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, it, it all went downhill after Death Soccer too. No, well, <laughs> the, the way I see it now, I I see it as a uh, still a very small niche uh, niche in an you know in an incredibly it's in fantasy is an incredibly popular genre, but sword and sorcery is a very small niche within it. It still is. Um, I wrote a post a while ago, Matt. I think you might have highlighted somewhere, maybe on. Um, the Rogues in the House Facebook page about uh, are we experiencing a new renaissance? And I'm, we are seeing some signs of that, I think. There's, there's a lot of good activity going on in the sword and sorcery field. We've got, you know, we've got a few good, but still niche 
uh, publishers, you look at like DMR books and you look at Rogue ba Blades Entertainment, um, Paul Piero Press that published Flame and Crimson, for example. We've got a really good magazine now, which is incredible, uh, Tales from the Magician Skull, that you can get digital and print. Um, a lot of small amateur publishing outlets, plugging our own Whetstone, uh, Flashing Swords, Heroic Fantasy Quarterly. Some watering holes, the Whetstone, Whetstone Discord, for example, is, is, a, is a great gathering spot. If you haven't yet joined Whetstone, again, go in there as long as you're not a dick. We welcome you there. Uh, there's been some small Reddit groups, you know, and we're see, getting some some publicity in Blackgate, you know, and, and some other blogs we mentioned at the beginning of the show, but it's still quite small. Uh, the fan base, I think, is still very small, and I'm I'm not convinced that it is enough to support, you know, what we what I would consider back in the day, you know, the mid list publisher, you know, mm. where may, maybe to some degree, but it still doesn't have the broad commercial appeal that I think some of the other genres have in particular, you look at like, you know, we talk about it a lot, Grimdark, which is your, you know, your authors like Joe Abercrombie or Steven Erickson, or of course the big one, George R. R. Martin that, that have the big contracts. And um, so I, I see it as a genre that maybe reentering some type of a, a rejuvenation and we're, we're getting there, but, we're still not there yet. Curious what others think. That's, that's my initial uh, thought. I just, I, I'm not going to say anything right now. I just want to, I, I wonder um, if we might not be in a, uh, a good time for sword and sorcery to kind of come back and just be entertaining. Um, the world is grimdark. It's been grimdark for years. <laughs> Some grimdark events unfolded today. Um, so, Maybe maybe this is a good time to kind of show folks uh, this sort of storytelling that they may not have they may have forgotten about. Yep. Anyways, Howard Scott, what do you think? I I think we're in what could be a renaissance, but it's still fueled too much by nostalgia. It's not so much fueled by wanting to find new authors as wanting to have the stuff that we had in the seventies reprinted. Mm. Uh, we got a lot, there's a lot of good small press things. There's still no really good uh, major press, big, big five. Every time we try to get it into the big five, it doesn't work because from what I can tell, the covers won't be like you saw in the seventies. So the people who want to read it will never see it because it's not going to have a Frazada cover. It's going to look like every other book in the bookstore. Mm. And yes, that sucks. I would rather have a painted cover, but it is what it is. If you want to read the new stuff, you have to go find the new stuff. And it may not look like your dad's sword and sorcery. Uh, otherwise, I mean, yeah, the small presses are doing some wonderful stuff. Uh, I don't think we can actually have a renaissance until, like y'all said, we have someone like a Joe Abercrombie, a George R. R. Martin, someone like that in the big league. And so far, we haven't been able to get that. There's been a couple. Uh, I think Sylvia Marina Garcia did a sword and sorcery novel, hmm. but it was never called sword and sorcery. But, you know, it hit every point of the trope. 
And then there was another one. I cannot for the life of me remember the man's name. But it had something to do with a sorcerer of Atlantis or something like that. Oh, was it John Shirley, I think? Maybe. Uh, yeah, John Shirley. Yeah. I believe the uh, new editor of Weird Tales, Jonathan... Um, Bettencourt? No, 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 not John Bettencourt. Uh, Doug? John Mayberry, John... John oh, Mayberry. Weird Tales, Weird Tales. I'm thinking Wilbur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mayberry. Uh, Weird Mayberry. Tales. I believe he just... Uh, He's going to have one coming out that's being billed as sort of a sword and sorcery. No. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, Howard, I'm glad you pointed that out. I think that could have a positive impact. So what we need is, so first, I agree. It feels like we are, that the genre we love is stronger than it's been in a long time, that there's a whole lot of movement going on. Whether or not we're on the cusp of something great, uh, a reemergence or not, remains to be seen. But I think what we need is, not just one breakout success, although one huge breakout success that wasn't just another grimdark, but that really felt more like sword and sorcery would mean that a whole bunch of stuff underneath the surface would rise like the top of an iceberg breaking free and, and, and more coming up with it. Um, we need we need people to be more aware of it, not just be confused about what it is, because fantasy is huge. And I think a lot of people would love, for instance, the skull and the stories within there. Uh, if they were somehow made aware of it. And the trick is getting through the white noise. And the trick is, uh, Scott and I have talked about this ad nauseum, is the publicity behind what we're writing. Uh, you really need a publisher behind you who has the money to push your signal and get the work out there. Mm -hmm. If no one hears about it, or if only our small numbers of sword and sorcery fans hear about it, it's not going to move the dial. Right. So I, I think we are all kind of agreeing that a grassroots effort is great. There's life, there's a pulse, but a grassroots effort is potentially just not going to be enough to take, bring this thing from the ashes. Right. One thing I think could be interesting is that um, Michael Moorcock is putting out a new Elric yeah. novel and that mm. seems to have caught a lot of people's attention and they're, they're reissuing, all of his classic stuff, and apparently the definitive edition. I'll believe that when I see it. We've had about to see that. That uh, feeds right into definitive editions. It, you're you're right though, Scott. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking about an author who's. I, I love Michael Moorcock. He is 81, and he is you know firmly ensconced in the nostalgia era from the 60s and, and 70s. So, um, but maybe as a again, we we talk about this a lot. Like, does someone like that give a lift to other people working in the genre? I don't know. Possibly. Okay. So that being said, um, where do we see the strengths, the real strengths of sword and sorcery? And then conversely, where do we see its biggest weaknesses? Um, Scott, you were saying that our, I, if I understand you right, right now, our, I wouldn't call it a strength, but our desire is in the nostalgia. Is that a strength? It's a strength and a weakness. It's uh you know, then the Michael Moorcock will bring readers to the genre, especially new readers that have never read his stuff. But whether or not they will read beyond him or just read what he has written is still in question. You know, it's not the the older stuff is classic for a reason. It's it's, it's good, solid storytelling and made all the more incredible by being sometimes 70 80 years old uh the new stuff is also good solid storytelling howard has you know story after story in his magazine that is 
as good as anything you would have read in classic weird tales. But people won't go looking for something new if publishers keep giving them the same hit of nostalgia. Hmm. And you can even on Whetstone's Discord, you can see, you know, they they always get really excited about stories from the past. And you rarely see that level of excitement for a story from now. I mean, I've, there are several that, you know, praising Howard's rings or uh, Dabir and Asim, which that's great. We need more of that. We need more of more people hunting out the new stuff to offset that sense of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Mm. I would add to that. Um, like the whetstone community is really good at supporting one another's efforts. The problem of course, is that it's still a very small pond and it's a yeah. echo chamber of sorts, right? It's not getting out to a wider audience. Um, yeah, sorry. I want to kind of, there's another question rattling in my mind, but I yeah. want to make sure we finish this. Well, let me, let me quantify that. Fantasy itself is a very small pond from mm-hmm. where our, Howard and Mines publishers are concerned. It is a minuscule audience. Hmm. Uh, they want books that will bring people to fantasy, not fantasy fans. Hmm. That's hmm. why you'll never see from a major publisher, unless it's one like Daw or Bain or someone like that, you'll never see the painted covers like we had in the past because they're not trying to appeal to the, the, pond of people that would be, you know, would be this logical uh, target. They want the Harry Potter sort. They want the people that have never read fantasy to read it. And they will pick a one or two books. Uh, from this last season, they picked Empire of the Vampire by Jay Kristoff. Not Sword and Sorcery. Uh, apparently pretty decent fantasy, they pushed the living hell out of it. And it brought in people that would not normally read a vampire book. And that's what they're looking for. And that's, you know, we could sell to each other all day long, but it's not going to move the dial. Mm Yeah. Interesting. You know, I, I, I guess I would say, Dean, your, your question, you know, what you asked, what, what, where is sword and sorcery strong and, and to, to draw on the nostalgia a bit here, it does have a great history. You know, the question, Scott, is how do we move beyond that? But I mean, it absolutely, you, 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 you look back the writers that we've had that have either, you know, it was before the term was coined, like a Clark Ashton Smith or a Robert E. Howard, obviously. And then you've got your Fritz Leibers and your Michael Moorcocks and your Carl Edward Wagners and your, your Jack Vances and Paul Anderson. I mean, it's it has an incredible rich history to draw upon. So I, I you know, I in some respects, I, I, I do agree with you, Scott, all the way in that people are too attached to the past. I do think some of these authors are actually in danger of, of not even being read anymore today. I think of like, you know, who was actually reading Paul Anderson in any quantity today. I think that name is not, it's, it seems like it's, it's a, 
you know, a, a very common name for this little insert of the group we've got here, but you get outside of our the Whetstone mm. server and the Sword and Sorcery circles, I doubt many people are reading Rolf Kraki's Saga or War of the Gods or even the Broken Sword. Um, so, but we, but nevertheless, we have this rich history. I mean, we've got an awesome film, uh, Matt. I know you would agree with Conan the Barbarian, which is like a touchstone film that to me encapsulates so much of what's good about what we love about sword and sorcery. We, we've got this uh, iconic hero in, in Conan, who is the equivalent of Superman and Indiana Jones. You know, he's just, he's, he's going to be eternal. He's with us forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, it also has a lot of baggage. It's got the, it's got the poor reputation that came in, you know, the, the clone ends, all the endless pastiche that we saw spun out of sword and sorcery. And we've got a shitload of <laughs> terrible movies, Death Star, yeah. who excluded, uh, but a, a, a lot of others that were just lousy. And that, you know, that that's contributed to draw the genre down. And I, I don't know if I mean, Howard and Scott, you guys are fiction authors and you're a lot more accomplished than I am, you know, with the, the contracts you've had. And I don't know if uh, if current publishers today are turned away by the genre or not. You know, I, I, I don't know if they look askance at it and see that term and they don't want to be associated with it or not. Um, but I, I kind I know that was the feeling, you know, I did the research for Flame and Crimson. There was a lot of that. You, you started to see in the seventies, people starting to avoid that. There was a lot of bad press. There was a lot of bad academic work and Ursula Gwynn and others were, rightly or wrongly, you know, taking shots at the genre and, and bringing it down. So um, that that's that that perception still might be out there amongst the big the major publishers. I don't know how they I don't know how they feel about it now. I think certainly in the last 10 or 15 years, 10 or 15 years ago, I think people would be avoiding the term sword and sorcery like the plague, but it's been co-opted and so muddied at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Every video game that has swords and swords and sorcery in it, every movie that has some magic users and some swords in it, it's all now considered sword and sorcery by the masses, and it no longer has the meaning that Liber meant it to have. And so that's that's money thing. So I don't know that the main major publishers are as concerned about that. Now, the content of it is there. Are they interested in a fantasy that's more of a sword and sorcery feel? Well, hopefully. You know, I, I've got one shopping around right now that's as sword and sorcery as I've ever been. Uh, more high-octane sword and sorcery than in. The Devere and Esteem stuff is sword and sorcery, but let's face it, it's also sort of an urban detective in ancient Arabia, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the ring sword stuff is sword and sorcery through an epic fantasy filter. Well, the thing I got out there now is sword and sandal, sword and sorcery, old-school stuff, and we will see what happens. Um, yep. I got I, a lot of writing on it. Yeah. Yep. Can I add something? Um, both uh, what all of you have said so far, you know, in terms of the strengths and some of the weaknesses, um, haven't touched on yet. And maybe Matt is getting ready to do this because as he mentioned earlier, it's kind of his side gig, but what I see both in the past and currently is that gaming is a very strong draw and, and a, a strong point for sword and sorcery both in role-playing, video gaming, and board gaming, both in the past. Um, if you're familiar with the Appendix N from the original Dungeons & Dragons, it listed all of those classic books hmm. that we all love 
And that drug us, drug me and many of my friends into reading that stuff if we weren't already reading it. Um, I don't know if the new D&D is doing that so much, but it's certainly, and Brian, you mentioned this just in passing in your book, that it's the new sword and sorcery. But in board gaming, that type of gaming, I find at least in my experience, and I go to a lot of game conventions and I go to a lot of, you know, just in gaming in general, that is aside from like world war two strategy stuff. It's almost, it, that's one of the big draws is uh, the sword and sorcery, the, the mono mono fighting and stuff like that. Yeah. I think it's alive and well in gaming. I'll, I'll sorry, Scott, I interrupted you there, but you know, you look at like, um, uh, what is it? Astonishing swordsmen and, and sorcerers of uh, Hyperborea, yeah. uh, which is like channels this stuff, channels Robert E. Howard, and it and it channels. Uh, he's pulling it out right here. There we go. Yep. Look at that. Yeah, it, he's it, just it, a, it, he has a random Link cupboard Carter. there. <laughs> he pulled it out of Howard a random cupboard in his kitchen. <laughs> in his kitchen, it was right it's next to my the kitchen. Pans. Downstairs basement and gaming area. It's still a kitchen, though. It looks, so, you like, got a coffee yeah. maker or something there. Like yeah, Matt, if you're not gaming like Howard and I game and you don't have a coffee maker and a cold refrigerator somewhere stocked with yeah. booze, you're not gaming. I, I can't you can't call yourself a gamer, man. I got too much uh I got too many uh too much yes. money invested in Masters of the Universe. I can't I can't afford it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I think when Howard when Howard's ready to microwave something, he pulls out, you know, astonishing swordsman and sorcerers of hyperborea and then he goes, I I better get the corn in now. Honey. Yeah. So you would agree that <laughs> you would agree that the gaming, fuse. Yeah. You would agree, agree that gaming is a strong point for sword and sorcery. Yeah. You know, well, it, I think that it I think so. it a bit though, don't you? I mean, so sword and sorcery should become okay. So gaming is sword and sorcery. So then everyone thinks that well, sword and sorcery must be wizards are throwing fireballs. And yeah, uh, yeah. it all helps sword muddy sorcery the has to have an elf and a dwarf. And all yeah. sword and sorcery uh, has class levels and a thieves guild. Mm-hmm. see and that's that's what i was going to say is it's some games are sword and sorcery most games are not right, right. And the act of gaming itself with a party of people of diverse things is antithetical to sword and sorcery yeah. which is usually one person two people three people at most uh, have one adventure and going their own way so mm-hmm. it's really hard to get a game that does that uh, yeah, i agree scott uh, I would add, interestingly, our... Wait, wait, uh, are you assuming that you're interested? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, I I don't even have any the universe right now. Getting getting wrecked over here. Um, But you have the power, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I do. I uh, power graceful. Uh, Whatever, screw you guys. Um, (laughs) But interestingly, yes, actually, to this conversation... Conan, our OG sword and sorcery hero, um, from what you can tell, he is being kept alive in the public public consciousness, I think, through, well, the Arnold movie and through gaming. Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, the role-playing game was big. Conan Exiles is actually huge, and it's actually bigger now than it's ever been, and it was huge at launch. So people can poo-poo all over a... Um, you know, a survival genre game, um, which maybe is not necessarily a sword and sorcery vibe, but our main, you know, our most famous sword and sorcery character is very popular because of gaming. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't think any of us want to 
very popular. Well, I, anyway, I wanted to make clear that I wasn't poo-pooing, but I was just saying it was muddying the waters. Uh, I yep. enjoy uh, gaming with my friends and seeing my magicians, the wizards throw their fireballs. I'm just yep. saying that some people think that that is all that sword and sorcery is. Um, yeah, that I, I, all sword and sorcery is that, and that's not, that was my yeah. point. No, I'm on your page. And actually, when I said poo-pooing, I actually didn't. I wasn't talking to talking about anybody here. Um, it's been a lot of just uh, sort of anecdotal um, folks suggesting that, well, can't we get a sword and sorcery game that feels like sword and sorcery that isn't a survival style game? And it's like, yeah, I mean, I, f I feel that complaint. I guess it's I'm just bringing up the point that it is interesting that our main sword and sorcery character, I think he is getting most of his life through Video, uh, video games, board games, role-playing games at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I, and, and Howard, I totally agree with the idea that, yeah, that label gets tossed around a lot. I mean, on our Facebook group uh, tonight, I shared an image of, you know, it was Will Smith looking all disappointed and tired. And he's basically saying um, me every time someone calls Harry Potter sword and sorcery. Yeah. So, well, exactly. Right. And it's not, I, I don't want to be a wretched, uh, I know gatekeeper about it. Right. I want to ask you about that, Matt, because this to me is like the big question. It's how much I'm not a gatekeeper either. And, and people, and if anyone could, and you can arguably say I, I could, because I wrote a, a history of this and I tried to define it as best as I could. And, uh, I tend to avoid that stuff I because I, I don't have the energy. And Howard, you were talking about this in a pre-show chat that it, it gets exhausting. You know, when mm -hmm. if, if if you try to go out and, and set the record straight, it it's first of all, it's impossible. It's like trying to, you know, stamp out. I don't know, but, but it's, like plug you, plug your fingers in the dike. There's always going to be another leak. And then second of all, then you start feeling like you're a crotchety old man yelling, you know, that. Uh, what to kid kid kids to get off their lawn and you start feeling like the classic antisocial gatekeeper so i tend to stay away from that but it is frustrating every time you see an allusion to fantasy and, and someone has a sword in their hand people will use the term sword and sorcery so that's that's one of the questions i kind of want to ask is like because I agree with you, I see the same thing, and you don't want to be the incarnate of the meme. Well, <laughs> actually, you know, you don't want to be a well, actually guy. But there's times <laughs> where, like, I do need to be the like. I recently left a group that was a cesspool, and I'm going to call them out on Facebook. Sword and sorcery of the 1980s group on Facebook is a trash dumpster fire heap. I think I opted out of that one. There's too. a lot of good people in there, I'm yeah. sure. Um, but it's like, it's out of control. It's sexist. It's racist. And I got it documented. If you need to see it, it's brutal. But Christ, I don't even remember where I was going. The gatekeeping and, and, and whether you should engage in that or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to be the well actually guy, but the same token, I guess what I'm saying is what, it, should it be called sword and sorcery? Is that is that a label that is actually doing a service at this point in time? I don't think so anymore. And here I am. We proudly label ourselves as Sword and Sorcery Magazine. Uh, like Brian said, he's talking about dikes. I always equate it to shouting into the wind. It doesn't matter how often I go on to Reddit or, my God, the definition I wrote for sword and sorcery has been floating around since I was editing Black Gate. <laughs> 
uh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. How God, how long has it been? And <laughs> nobody is aware of these definitions. Not enough people are aware of flame and crimson. Um, they're just, oh, I hear Brandon Sanderson is sword and sorcery. I want to read some more of that. And that's fine. But that's like saying that this toast is also is French bread. Well, I want French bread, not toast. I mean, they're both bread, but uh, it, it's so, mad. So, so what do we do? Because this, this sword and sorcery has been thrown on games. Sword and sorcery has been uh, used in uh, comic books. Sword and sorcery has been used uh, on video games. And it is no longer clear what it means anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what to do. I, so I, the question is, do we even need to maintain the label of sword and sorcery? Do we need to rebrand it? Do we need to come up with a different descriptor for what we know and love to bring more people into it? We, we actually had a conversation about this. Uh, Brian, Howard, Scott, and I um, through Facebook Messenger when I sent them sort of some questions we were going to cover for this show. Um, we kind of already dug into it a bit. Mm-hmm. Howard, Howard, you mentioned um, heroic fantasy is a is sort sure. of a sure that one has some that yeah. one has some history behind it. I think Wagner was in favor of that. Now I don't think we should try to replace those in the know should keep calling it sword and sorcerer. But I think when we're trying to reach out and be descriptive with it to other people who don't. Who, who dig like adventure fantasy, who might dig grimdark and say, well, this mm. is heroic fantasy. Yeah, it's almost like action weird, you know? There's the weird element and it's action-packed. And it's like, I don't know how you get a catch-all term to include all those bits. But for me, heroic fantasy, heroic fantasy doesn't quite do it because it doesn't have the weird element. And sword and sorcery often has that weird, I mean, that's part of what really attracts me is the adjacency with horror, right? It has the alliteration too. I I, I just love the term. It does, myself. yeah. <laughs> sort of sandwich. But, but I I think Brian, that's part of what's happening is that people who write articles for Variety want to put <laughs> sword and sorcery in there because it helps spin their I, sentence nicely. You're a sword and right. sorcery epic. It's like hold on. If we don't fight for it, then the same thing will happen to sword and sorcery that happened to dark fantasy, is it becomes the realm of erotica of vampires of you know wagner called his work dark fantasy and that's i i'm not sure if i think he might have been the originator of that Mm. but no the publishing self-publishing renaissance comes along and everybody with a scantily clad vampire in a succubus is suddenly dark fantasy well and if you go to amazon and type in dark fantasy that's all you're going to find. You're not going to find anything adjacent to Wagner. And, and Wagner and, himself became victim to it. If if you listen yeah. to our last episode, right? We talked about how his books went on Kindle, categorizes yeah. dark fantasy. And sure enough, you got that erotic, shirtless, <laughs> beardless, finely shaved barbarian man looking very sexy with his mall sword. Um, I, want to see, I want to see a shirtless 300 pound cane, though, to see what that would look like in, in, in real life. <laughs> 300 pounds and a, and a slim waist. I mean, this, this guy was like Ronnie Coleman. I mean. Don't bring up, <laughs> don't bring up Kane's dimensions. Scott, Scott told me he it was because of his bone density. And then I'm like, I need a citation. Where does it say it? <laughs> but 
it's it's a reasonable it's a reasonable yeah. way to look at it. Yeah. It has to be, he's a caveman. It has to be his bone density. I was just rereading Nightwinds recently, Matt, and he's mentioned three or four three or four times as three hundred pounds and a little over six feet. Yes, yeah. that is a big dude. <laughs> yes, yes, that is it's, a block. Yeah, very much a, a a meaty, beefy dude. He'd be like Ram Man without the helmet or something. I mean, he would just. <laughs> And we invoked Masters of the Universe again. Okay, sorry. We're going to so, get back on these yeah. tracks. No, but like Sword and Sorcery, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of in between Howard and Scott because I agree it's probably not going to sell you books to use it. Um, arguably, you it could be retired. I, I love the term for obvious reasons, but um, I also think that, you know, any genre that's broad enough to encompass Howard and Liber and Moorcock and Vance, you know, maybe doesn't need a rebrand. I, I don't know. Like it's, I think it's a pretty malleable subgenre, even though, yes, we all try to define it and we kind of shrink it a little bit in, in so doing, but there's, there's a lot there. The in popular its culture has gone and in, in stolen it. And I don't know how we get it back. It's, it's, if it reminds me like, Oh, you can always tell a joke. It's really funny. If you have to explain it, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, we have to explain what sword and sorcery is we can't go around doing that. No one's going to listen. Like you said, a variety or whoever is going to say, Oh, I remember when um, the first Lord of the Rings movies were coming out, people calling it a sword and sorcery epic. Mm -hmm. and, so yeah, no. yeah, exactly. I just had a chilling thought and uh, this might not be good, <laughs> but share it. It reminds me of back in the, <laughs> it reminds me of back in the nineties when green day and blink 182 were referred to as punk bands. Right. And they might have sounded a bit punk, but those are not punk bands. I just can't. I can't. Uh, okay. I get what you're going at there. Yeah. Matt, because my real day job is working with, as a radio station director, yeah. in alternative rock music. And what you're saying is absolutely true. Alternative is the sword and sorcery of the music world. Everything gets thrown right. into yeah. it. Good point. If they then, can't figure out what it is, it's sword and sorcery. It's right. alternative rock. You know, and then the message gets lost, right? But I guess what I'm saying is the reason I found this chilling is that punk is dead. <laughs> like, and punk was never really like um, a super pop. Like, you know, it had its moments in time. But and it, and it probably wasn't cool if you did like it. But mm -hmm. when you hear it or when you read it, you know what yes. it is. Yeah. Just like sword and sorcery. Yeah. But what we need is Brandon Sanderson to do an essay that he is not sword and sorcery. And then put that out to all those, the Brandon Sanderson fans. Scott, this go, is Scott. rogues in the house podcast. We have clout. If you want me to get Brandon Sanderson on here, admitting <laughs> on air, I will do it. I do. I do. I want you to do that. I do have the power after all. On there with Steve Erickson. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to jump ahead since we're talking about this label uh, to one of a, a later question that I was going to ask later. Um, the label, we've got Sword and Sorcery. We think it's being usurped and, and just the water is so muddy, we don't know where it's at anymore. But we've got the label of Grimdark, which a lot of people understand, and it seems to be doing very well in terms of people enjoying that stuff. Could that be the new label for sword and sorcery or has it usurped sword and sorcery what no <laughs> that was me emphatically saying no uh grimdark is a different flavor mm -hmm. 
and I don't think that sword and sorcery so often Grimdark lacks that sense of wonder and mythic power. Mm-hmm. Grimdark has a tendency, not all of it is, uh-huh. but has a tendency to be rather, you know, dark and grim and hopeless without so much sense of wonder and forward momentum and fabulous world building. Everything in a lot of Grimdark, everything is bleak and covered in crap and everyone's a bastard. And yeah, there's some bastards in sword and sorcery, but there's also heroic action sometimes. And there's all sorts of, sometimes it's horrific wonder. Sometimes it's amazing wonder and world building. And you just, yeah, mm-hmm. I, Grimdark is, is not, it. Uh, some Grimdark can be sword and sorcerer, but not all sword and sorcery is Grimdark. Right. I, and it's funny too, because you, you look at Grimdark and you, if you take Joe Abercrombie and place it beside R. Scott Baker, those are very different reads. One is is kind of tongue in cheek and funny and witty, and the other one is uh, biblical and horribly bleak. Um, and I like both of those books or both of those authors. Um, I guess I think I guess Dean, I think- are you kind of suggesting that can we sort of hmm, can we use sort of grim dark interest as in? perhaps something as an alternative to high fantasy um, as, as something we could steal and sell sword and sorcery with not under the grimdark label, but could we create a sort of new label that would do the same sort of, uh, that we get the same sort of reach as grimdark. Is that what you're saying? I think so. Yeah. That's kind of what I was getting at with the, you know, with the question, you know, how do we, how do we get past the, I don't know, maybe you guys as publishers, certainly probably know better than I do. I mean, is sword and sorcery. If you Howard, Scott, Brian, I'm going to write a sword and sorcery story. Do you come out and say, I'm going to write a sword and sorcery story to a publisher? No, no, they Trojan horse it. Howard has admitted he's Trojan horsing his sword and sorcery stories in there. So sword and sorcery is a bad word in the publishing world. No, I I, I just got started. I mean, Dean, from in my opinion, and, and again, like, I, I go back to the fact that I wrote Flame and Crimson and I actually had a hard time with that book because I, I was wondering if I was over explicating things or, or creating too tight genre definitions or, or whatever. Although I like that. I, I did like the end product, but I don't know. I think if you set out to write in a certain genre, you're probably limiting yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's fine and you should draw upon your your literary inspirations and everyone has them like mm. no no one writes in a vacuum everyone was inspired by someone else i i just think if you if you set out to write with a formula like you need to stay in a certain genre you're probably doing yourself a disservice like and this is coming from someone who who loves the genre loves to talk about it mm. Who, who loves to create lists even and, and figure out, you know, what are the things that we all love that are in common with this particular subgenre? you know, the, the, um, the action oriented heroes, the, the dark and dangerous magic, the, the mercenary motivations. Like we, we all know these things, but I, I think if you approach your writing and this is coming from a nonfiction author with, with, with this too firmly in mind, you're probably going to end up with derivative fiction, you know, and I, I, I think you should just try to strive to write good fiction and if let it fall where it may. That's that's kind of where I'm falling these days on on writing. And this, again, 
please, Howard and Scott, let, like this is coming from someone who doesn't write fiction. I, I don't write fiction. Even Matt, I know you write fiction as well. So Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Um, I'm going to let our, our other two speak. I just want to say that like, I don't set out to write sword and sorcery either necessarily, but I adopt a lot of, a lot of the fun uh, of, of storytelling kind of fits into that uh, definition as we know it, not as Amazon bestseller knows it. Mm -hmm. Howard, what do you think? I, I write what I love and what I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. And when the Devere and Seam uh, didn't have the success that I wanted it to have, uh, I switched gears and I went to an old story with some very sword and sorcery characters in a more epic world and I returned to that. Uh, I never try to write to the market, uh, probably because I'm always out of step anyway. <laughs> so I, I always try to write what I'm most excited about. And what I'm most excited about now is the most sword and sorcery thing I have ever done since I became a professional writer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Don't write to the market because by the time you're finished writing it and your book's uh, waiting two years to appear, the market may have changed. Oh, I'm going to mm -hmm. write this great idea to have this like Harry Potter. Well, the world doesn't care anymore, right? Mm. Um, do what excites you. I mean, now I feel like I'm talking to all the other writers out there who are working on things. Don't try to follow a guideline. And that's the fascinating thing about the originators of sword and sorcery. They weren't working with templates. They would just make right. it up. They yep. made it up as they went. A lot of fiction these days, because it is so heavily based in gaming, and I say this as someone who wrote four, four Pathfinder novels, so it's not like I hate gaming fiction, but a lot of people who come to writing fiction think that, oh, I'm going to write fantasy. It has to have this in it. It has to have that in it. My elves have to be like this. Well, maybe you don't even need elves, right? The people who originated sword and sorcery in, were just, they just felt free to invent whatever the heck they wanted and went with it. It was the pacing. It was the action. It was the world building. Those are the exciting things. Mm -hmm. All right, I'll get off of my soapbox. Scott, you're going to burst. You got something to say. I know you do. <laughs> Well, I mean, I agree with, with what Brian's saying, but that's not what uh, Dean was saying. You have to know what genre your story is in when you're trying to sell it. So you have to know that it's sorcery, heroic, fantasy. You have to know the label that Amazon is going to put on it because that is the same shorthand your publisher is going to use. So... When I was writing The Lion of Cairo, I didn't actually get that idea myself. That was given to me by my editor. So they're open to sword and sorcery. They just want a, some kind of sword and sorcery that will reach beyond fantasy's borders. They want to drag in other people. Uh, so, you know, as, as a writer, it, it, I guess it pays to know, like Dean was saying, that I'm writing a sword and sorcery story. That's great. That's not necessarily a bad thing to know that you're writing it. And that's not a market per se that you're writing to. That's a series of tropes you're using to tell your story. So yeah, you know, if you're saying I'm going to write a sword and sorcery story, you know, own it, go out there and find other people that write sword and sorcery stories, somebody that can read it for you, you know, with you. Yeah. You know, grab onto the, the label and use it same way if you're writing grimdark or if you're writing uh, heroic fantasy but as far as grimdark goes 
I don't actually think Joe Abercrombie is grimdark. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you there. Yeah. He reminds me more of Fritz Leiber than he does of, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, R. Scott Baker. Yeah. You know, most grimdark that I've read is not even remotely grim compared to historical fiction. <laughs> So, yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah. I kind of that's that's sort of the kind of parallel I like to make with uh, Sword and Sorcery and Grimdark is that I don't necessarily think either labels necessarily represent what's in there or things get thrown under that banner that aren't necessarily that thing. When yeah. I read the Grimdark I've read, R. Scott Baker was kind of like I needed to take a bath afterwards, but <laughs> most of the other stuff was just kind of I hate to use the term, but like literary, literary fantasy, right? Like where it's, um, I don't know. I, it was enjoyable to read. It was very character driven. It was sort of, um, you know, very close third POV. Um, and so I like it for, for that. It's not because it's, you know, a bunch of heinous things occurring on the page. Yeah. So I, See, the I, yeah. grimmest thing I've ever read is actually Tim Willock's uh, 12 Children of Paris. That is the grimmest book that I've ever read. Mm. And it reminds me more of Sword and Sorcery than it does Grimdark. Have, have you ever read The Faithful Executioner? Have any of you read that? No. A friend of mine, uh, I, I only read snatches of it, but uh, he loves it. But it's essentially this dude who committed some kind of crime like he this it's historic um and he he wouldn't he wouldn't kill the person that he was told to kill by a lord and then he ended up getting busted to the role of being a executioner um but there's some <laughs> some real heinous stuff in there as well very grimdark but historic. i've always i've always thought that grimdark is a matter of emphasis you know and mm. um you know, I, I I don't I haven't read enough Joe Abercrombie to, to to pigeonhole him at all, and nor do I think he deserves it because I actually think he's a he's a pretty phenomenal writer. Mm -hmm. uh, I I love his stuff. I think he does great dialogue. I think he does compelling storytelling. I love his stuff. But I was just looking up a review I wrote of the Heroes a while ago, and uh, there's a quote from there from that book. I don't know if you've read the Heroes. Um, it's a great book. I really enjoyed it, but it's pretty grim. He's, he, and uh, there's, a, there's a bit of dialogue from here. He says, who cares who's buried where, muttered Craw, thinking about all the men he, he'd seen buried. Once a man's in the ground, he's just mud, mud and stories, and the stories and the men don't often have much in common. <laughs> so it's just like it's sort of a little bit of meaninglessness and the stories are just stories. They're not actually the truth. And we're all going to the same place, you know, and there's not a lot of redemption there. And, and um, to me, that's sort of grimdark, you know, it's, it's, the, yeah, yeah. it's, and there's a lot of the battle sequences are we, and, and, and I love Howard's battle sequences and sometimes he gets pretty visceral, but, you know, some of the clinical descriptions of what actually can happen in a, in a real, in a real battle. I don't necessarily want that in my sword and sorcery. And I, and some of the grimdark yeah. authors will, will range into that territory. And to me, it gets a little excessive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like Tim Willocks. He's a, he's an MD. 
So he worked in an ER, so he's putting all of these real details into it. Yeah. So it's it's the uh, the blood and guts side of, of Grimdark. Yeah. So. Where, Scott, whereas Scott, Howard, you say- Howard would kind of just call it a, he might just chalk it up to a red mist, right? You might just get that red mist. <laughs> that's right. That, you get the red and mist. Then it, and it strikes the image and that's good enough without seeing like, you know, an organ punctured and oozing, right? You know what's happening, but you, yeah, you just don't need all the clinical descriptions. And and I'm, yeah. I'm not being fair to Grimdark because I think there is some good writing and I think Joel. Oh, yeah. Well, there's some excellent, there, there's some yeah. excellent Grimdark writing. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of um, the way I feel about Grimdark reminds me of the way I feel about noir. I like some noir an awful lot. I could read and reread the Stark books by uh, Westlake. Uh, excuse me, the Parker books by Stark, who's actually Westlake anyway. <laughs> um, but I prefer to read a detective novel. I really enjoy some grimdark, but I prefer to read Sword and Sorcerer. Mm. Yep. Dean, we cut you off hard. What were you saying? Well, uh, we were having a little bit of a computer lag, and I was going to ask Scott who he was referring to that was an MD. Uh, Tim Willocks. Tim Willocks. Okay. Yeah. He's a British MD, so lots of knife wounds. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read his stuff. It's good. It's uh, the religion is one to start with. And then the second is the 12 children of Paris. Yeah. It's a great verb, isn't it? Knifed. I love that verb. (laughs) It just, it feels painful. So, I mean, uh, we've covered a lot of ground right now and we've got a lot of opinions floating out there. And Mm. I think this is going to really, um, while it was the last question I have of the list, it's certainly not the last question necessarily of this podcast, but I think it, we got to coalesce us and get it all put together. Uh, what do you hope to see from sword and sorcery in the future? I mean, that's a big question. Yeah, that's a big question. I, I think uh, p- part of the obvious answer might be big success, you know? I know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I want to go back a little bit to, I think, uh, um, Brian, you were saying, maybe it was Howard was saying that the originators of sword and sorcery, they didn't care. They were just doing what they wanted to do. And they could that partially be because nobody else was doing it. And now we're having to, I don't want to say recreate or mimic or anything like that, but the ground has been broken and broken so well that, you know, it's hard to do something new that's going to attract the attention. Yeah. Michael Drought. He was a he's a J.R.R. Tolkien scholar and he's a he's a college professor who um, teaches Tolkien in the classroom. And he, he described that f- a phenomenon called, um, you know, the anxiety of influence. Marshall McLuhan. It's, it's a, maybe it's Marshall McLuhan. There you go. It's the people who follow after these incredible writers and. It's okay. I'm writing fantasy and I've got this huge long shadow of J.R.R. Tolkien in front of me. We see this all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. we see, we see Terry Brooks who basically redid the Lord of the Rings with the sword of Shannara. Uh, We see um, McKiernan who did the Iron Tower trilogy, which was basically the Lord of the Rings redone. And there's been a lot of Howard pastiche, you know, we, Mm -hmm. so that, that absolutely is hard to get out of uh, that shadow especially when people do tend to talk about it and lionize it and, and elevate it to a sphere, maybe arguably higher than where it should be. I, I love this stuff. I wouldn't have written flaming crimson if I didn't. Right. Um, I absolutely love it, but you, but it, it does make it hard for subsequent writers to follow. So, um, you know, I, I think what, what I would hope to see from the future is, 
know, Matt, you just said it. I, I, I would love to see someone who was able to break in with him with, you know, maybe, maybe it's Howard and maybe it's Scott, maybe it's, I don't know. Um, there's a, there's a couple of good authors working today. There's a guy, Shiloh Hernstrom, who I happen to like a lot too, uh, who wrote, uh, the eye of, I'm going to butcher the name. I, I have so new, new, I have so new, I have no freaking idea. He's published by uh, DMR books. Um, guys really good. I mean, so there, there are some good authors. I, I would love to see someone catch the attention of a major publisher and promote their work blatantly as sword and sorcery. That would be awesome. You know, like push this thing to the next level, get it out there and allow people to discover the genre we, that we all love. I kind of want to ask this. Um, so it seems like fantasy is still very obsessed with doorstopper novels. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think Scott and Howard to an extent, your novels are, you know, beefier, right? Perhaps not the thousand page monstrosities, but they're, they're bigger books. Is there a chance and Howard, I don't know if I'm even allowed to say this on air, but I, I know your current project. Yeah. Scott, that's a reasonable, that's a reasonable size. Uh, it's doorstopper-ish. It's a doorstopper adjacent. We like that word. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> yeah. but, so Howard, yeah, I know that um, I was talking to you. I know what you're shopping around right now is uh, it's kind of short story-esque, right? It's like a novel of contained tales. Is that right? Am I allowed right. to say that? Are we allowed yeah, to talk you're about allowed that? to talk about, you know, it's, so anyone who's reading Magician's Skull has seen a few of the Hanavar stories in there. So it's serial fiction, but each story builds on the one before it. And the marketing scheme is, well, it's like the book is like a season of a TV episode of a TV series where each episode stands alone, but builds on the ones before it. Characters return, things change story to story. And then probably the season finale, which is what the book ends with, doesn't stand as well on its own because it's built up of all the other parts. And it is the beefiest book I've written but it's composed of individual sections so that it's much more of a sword and sorcery feel, right? Yeah. See, I, I love that concept. And I think that on paper, if anything is going to work, like that should be it. We are in a Netflix generation. We are in a, you know, sword and sorcery is rich in the um, short fiction uh, tradition. So, something like that is brilliant truly and if it works and it damn well should that's that's a springboard i think because it's it's the other thing i've said too about whetstone is it's it's cool that you've got these little stories you can read on a lunch break or whatever but i think with attention spans <laughs> being what they are in our 21st century something like that might be a good idea you don't necessarily have to you know, you can pick it up and put it down, pick it up and put it down, and you're not going to miss a bunch of stuff. Same way as sometimes I'll take a break in a big doorstop or I'll come back and be like, ah, damn it. I don't even remember where I was, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like that plays to our, our sort of interest in format these days. I don't think our attention spans are the same thing they were because of these things. And I, I, think, this I, would is, I think this is a genuine issue. You, we, I would agree 100%. Yes. And, and I'm guilty myself, right? Like Matt's holding up his cell phone. I'm with you 100%. Yeah. I, 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 
I am working hard to up my reading, you know, read 52 books in a year is my goal every year. Sometimes I hit it. Sometimes I don't, but the, the cell phone is absolutely crushed attention spans. And it's just, a, it's, a, it's a perfect distraction machine. Do any of you have any data on, um, I get lots of data on what people listen to in terms of radio, podcast, streaming, you know, all that kind of stuff. Is there any data out on, are people reading still? I mean, has it dropped off? Has it increased because we now We're, have eBooks and or anything like that? So most of the information like that is considered proprietary. So they don't release it, but there are some uh, websites that will collect it from polls. And you can Google it and you can find some pretty good information on reading habits, uh, you know, Still, the largest genre is romance. Uh, you know, women are still primary book buyers, that sort of thing. Uh, but it is a billion something, well, multi billion dollar industry. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's room for everybody. I wonder, does the, uh, the old uh, Louis L'Amour Western style, <laughs> are they experiencing the same thing that sword and sorcery might be experiencing? I know. I feel like it's the western is the western as a genre seems to be dying globally. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Maybe that's anecdotal, but I don't see a lot of uh, not in cinema. I don't. I don't really see much evidence of. Of. I mean, there's a small, small thing with westerns, and maybe that's a good analogy with the with the sword and sorcery. Except, sword and sorcery was never as popular as westerns once were. Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to be the incredibly dominant thing. I'm a big fan of. Uh, Westerns from a certain period, as a matter of fact, but yeah, you just don't see, you don't see much. Yeah. I, yeah and I think actually we didn't really get into this and I kind of want to a bit, cause of course I do, but I think perhaps part of the Western bit is that, you know, the Western has uh, sort of the colonial history piece and that these days there's less of an appetite for happy go lucky or fun adventure tales set in that landscape, perhaps. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy this. I'm not saying you shouldn't like those movies. I'm just saying that um, as a society, I feel like there's there's probably less of an appetite. And does sword and sorcery suffer from the, the same thing? I'm not saying, I mean, obviously we have all read sword and sorcery tales and there's some uncomfortable crap in there that we've had to read. And we realize it's a relic of a time and all of this jazz, but how powerful uh, is that reputation, right? Is that is that going to, is that sort of the um, the scarlet letter that that publishers are recoiling from? Is it the covers? Is it? I'd say that people have kind of forgotten who are young. Okay, not forgotten. The people who are coming into reading now, like we were talking about the Brandon Sanderson fans and Harry Potter fans, they don't have any sense, most of them, of the history of the fantasy movement. So a lot of them say, well, I won't read anything earlier than 2000 anyway. So they don't. A, they don't really know what sword sorcery is, for good or for bad. Mm. Uh, so they don't know some of the crap baggage that we get from the bad cloning movies, or or some of the, you know, some of the bad things like uh, all women in in the worst, uh, all women are prizes, you know, and they don't actually have any agency. Or there's some suspect uh, suspect stuff that sounds pretty racist or is racist. There's some stuff that's got some weird political or sexual thing going on there in, in some of these stories, right? Mm -hmm. And I say this is a guy who's 
one of the biggest sword and sorcery fans you can love. There is some, there's some real nasty stuff in there. Yeah, I, I think you have to acknowledge, you know, some of the bigotry, some of the racism, even inherent in some of the old stories. You know, uh, it's there. You look at, you know, um, Shadows and Zambula, or you look at some of the weird stuff you see in Fritz Leiber with, especially his later material with the oh, sexual yeah. weirdness in there. Yeah. Howard's nodding his head, you know, I mean, and you've got, I mean, even in a lesser sense, but still maybe, you know, um, could impact a modern reader. You look at the amorality of heroes like a cane or a Kugel, you know, like they did some pretty crass stuff in there and there's implied, implied rape or or overt rape in some of these stories so it's i i, I think what you have to do though um matt and, and dean to be honest is you, you you really have to apply and it's easy for me to say but you you, you have to apply historical context to this stuff you know like oh, yeah it was a mm-hmm. different era and yeah, and, yeah. To, and to walk into these stories and expect to have a 21st century morality overlaying them is is just not fair to those authors they lived in a different yeah. era how, how robert e howard was living in 1920s and 1930s texas so right there i mean i'm not i'm not saying he's excused from all this and i'm not saying we shouldn't talk about it absolutely like have at it and and be be, be fair but you can't you can't cancel this type of literature you you know you, you have to acknowledge that it came from a different era. And I think you have to apply different standards while admitting for some readers, it's, it's going to be hard to swallow. And I totally understand that. And I have no hard feelings for anyone who, who puts these books down. You yeah, know, exactly. really well said, Brian, nicely said. Well, you. in your book, you said it even better. I think uh, you said it was <laughs> um, uh, essentially lazy, intellectually lazy. If you, don't do exactly what you were saying. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I may have been hard there, but I, 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 but I think you were being honest. Like you should like, you have to know what the historical con, you have to know what it was like to be living in that era. This was, yeah. you know, this was the Jim Crow era. This was just, bef- this was just a radically, radically different era. Howard's era to, to, and, and to expect him to adhere to what we consider to be, uh, correct is just it's it's not going to happen the words are there well and what you're saying too is not um you're not by making the point that if this is not to your taste and you understand why someone would recoil by this and put the book down then that's that's a that's totally understandable right mm-hmm. um the problem I run into, and this is the thing I, oh God, I'm going to get into this again. I just, there's aspects of the community. And like I mentioned earlier about the sword and sorcery of the eighties group. And I'm, it's just, there's some people who will jump down your throat. If you even mention that shit, if you even acknowledge it. Right. And it's mm. like, of course you got to acknowledge that stuff. Are you blind? Like you got to acknowledge it. It doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. But when you look at somebody like Lovecraft, who is immensely popular, and is huge in publishing and books and in uh, games, video games. And it's obvious that these people aren't actually going to be canceled. I mean, Lovecraft was pretty overtly racist for a lot of his career. It doesn't mean there's not gems in his storytelling. It doesn't mean he wasn't highly influential. It doesn't mean you can't walk and chew gum at the same time. 
And it also doesn't mean if you're a person of color and find that particular poem he wrote about the creation of, you know, to your disgust, that's fine. Yeah. Right. It's that, I guess what I'm saying is, and Howard, I think you sort of answered this question is that the lay person doesn't really know of this reputation. I guess my question is, is for our publishers finding it so unsexy that they don't <laughs> want to touch it. But then at the same time, the label is so diluted that we're not even talking about the same thing. Right. Yeah. I don't have an answer. Yeah, we'll find I, know. I expect to find out the next, next several months. Yeah. Let us know how that goes, Howard, because we're all pulling for you. <laughs> yes, seriously. So the thing that you got to you keep mentioning this, Matt, is a publisher is not going to recoil from the label of sword and sorcery. They're going to recoil from the sales figures that yeah. that label mm. does. They will publish all the sword and sorcery in the world if it sells That's a high enough volume. And they don't particularly care what's in it as long as it sells a high enough volume. Hmm. So that's the sword and sorcery at the big five does not sell enough for them to be interested in. Hmm. So that's yeah. the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I mean, I guess that comes back to the question of like, how do we make them want it? How do we make it sell? And this is the million dollar question, as we say. I mean, my answer would be to use some of the marketing tactics from the seventies and eighties, start going back to painted covers, but don't, don't pull out the TNA covers. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. uh, thinking of having like a guy in a cloak, just, you know, you can't really see his face. Yeah. In a dark <laughs> city behind him. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe just like a picture of a sword. Oh, wait, wait, that, that's what they're doing now already, isn't it? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm out of <laughs> <laughs> I have an I, image. I have an image in my head that I, I, I can't wait to, to uh, bring to fruition with uh oh god uh, well monolith we've been teasing this red nails expansion for a long time and fans have wanted it for the conan board game and i really want to do a cover i'm probably going to get called woke or something for this but i don't give a shit um where i want to do a sort of riff on frazetta's barbarian but i want valeria to be in the conan place i don't want i don't want a conan cowering at her feet nothing stupid like that but I just want to, to just kind of highlight the fact that Robert E. Howard made some badass women in his stories at a time where that wasn't necessarily happening so much. And that, that helps, yeah. right? Those, those images help. It's not all yeah. just male power it's fantasy. Helpful, right? It's, uh, you know, yeah. like I, I feel like more like mm -hmm. what Scott's saying, paint the cover, make it in that same tradition, make please, it gorgeous. Please. No more blokes in cloaks, no more, yeah. uh, <laughs> See, my wife loves, she loves the Dark Agnes stories. She loves the, the you know, stories like that. But the, all the art that you'll see for that is somebody in a chainmail bikini. And that's the part that turns her off. She does not want to see women in chainmail bikinis. No. Right. Show them wearing the armor that's described in the story. So. Right. And so instead of like, it's got to be a powerful guy uh, showing his independence. Why can't it just be a powerful person who's independent uh, fighting against the world, right? Um, someone who, who has agency. It doesn't have to be a man. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think if you look back at the history of the genre, I mean, you look at, um, you know, C.L. Moore, 
you know, we, we, we have examples from the past. We have, um, uh, Seal Goldsmith, who was the, the, the editor of Fantastic Stories back in the day, who was, you know, who was publishing these guys, a female publishing Fritz Leiber and et, et cetera. And you have, obviously you have Charles Saunders with his uh, Imaro stories. And, you know, you've, you've, you've got folks, yeah. you know, the, the, the genre, despite the baggage, Matt, that we've talked about here, it, it has elements that are inclusive that, that, that we, that we can draw upon and remind folks of, and, and they're there. So um, it's, yeah. it's, it's broad enough, mm-hmm. I think, to support a modern mindset, to be honest. And that toxic element's always going to be there. There's it's always every, it's everywhere be, too, right? It's, it's, it's dude bros that want the, yeah. the women who are just objects. There's always going to be that it's just looking beyond those and, maybe bringing more people in by doing things a little bit differently than what we've done in the past, but still in the same style. Yep. Like find somebody that can paint like Frazada to do new covers. There's a lot of Frazetta I- I- imitators out there, man. Oh. Yeah. Some of them are even really good. Oh, they're very good. There's a lot of guys. There's so many excellent artists out there. There's no shortage of people who could produce yeah. wicked Sword and sorcery art for you. None. But I'm just going to say, well, we're never going to top Frank Frazetta. I'm, I'm just no. going to put that out there. It's it's impossible. Agreed. It's like, you know. But there's a lot of artists in the indie book scene that I think larger publishers would benefit from using them. Stop yeah. using the canned clip art cover. Yes. Oh, I hate Please. the clip art covers. Yeah, I... Uh, and here's the other thing too, from, from running the rogues in the house, Instagram account, it's interesting. Like I put up a lot of classic sword and sorcery art. When I put up a chainmail bikini, I obviously make a crack about ha chainmail bikini. <laughs> the art's still sometimes uh, <clears throat> titillating and interesting, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, it, that, that's a piece in time, but that art, I mean, you put up a piece of uh, Frazetta art or Alex Horley or any number of amazing artists, it is striking. And you can tell some people are posting uh, comments like, whoa, what is this, right? Yep. Some people have never seen this stuff before. Just the algorithm pushes it onto their feed. They see it and they're like, wow, there's no damn way that that art isn't attractive to people. I show it to some of my students sometimes, right? Like, you know, a little more wholesome stuff. Um, and they're just like, whoa, because they're used to seeing other modern fantasy art. This stuff blows your hair back. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree. It's freaking criminal that we can't, you know, modernize it a little bit in the way that we don't just objectify women the entire time on there. We put in some interesting, a uh, little more 2020, what goddamn year is it? Uh, <laughs> imagery see, on there see a russia invaded ukraine yeah but it's, <laughs> yeah this is a walking piece of history um but yeah i, I don't know no. like any human being alive is struck by that art because it is striking and i can is. i can tell you just from my anecdotal personal example when i was a kid and i went into an old bookstore i used to frequent at the time i was buying you know the avengers and captain america and iron man and i love all those titles but i i pulled out um from a, there was a box on the floor and i pulled out an issue of savage sword of conan Ugh. and it was uh, earl norum and Ugh. it was conan fighting 
a horde of ghouls. And yeah, the, there was a scantily clad woman as well. But the, like that, that image was just arresting. And yeah. that, that was it. it. That that was probably the the gateway for me. And it, yeah. I became a lifelong fan. So do you, art, do you know, do you art know, has power. Do you know who, who else Earl Norum painted a lot of? I Tarzan. Goddamn He-Man. Oh, oh really? Yes. I had no idea. Okay. Oh, my God. It he, all goes the, back to He-Man. The Wait, box he, art. He, he <laughs> what? I heard yeah. of this He-Man. What's that? You damn well know who it is. Matt Matt tries to get in mentions of He-Man like I do Star Trek. Well, now now people have poked at me, yeah. and you've just asked for it. So even if even if Earl Norm didn't paint He-Man, Matt would have put that reference in. It would have dared people to look it up. No, I love <laughs> Earl. Uh, to be fair, Earl Norum Earl Norum is kind of second to Frazetta for me in terms of images that are burned into my head. Yeah, I mean, obviously awesome. he was highly influenced by Frazetta, but goddamn. I think I, th I think Frank Fr Frank Frazetta was so good that he probably overshadowed a lot of other artists that deserve more recognition. You know, Earl Norm am among them. Um, he's probably the reason that sword and sorcery took off in the '60s. His covers. It's a, I, I mean, don't think I don't think it can be understated. Um, mm -hmm. His contributions to it. Yeah, he was awesome. Sounds like we need another Frank Frazetta to yeah. sell covers today. Yep. That sounds like the answer to what we want to see in the future is somebody who can, you know, break open those doors of artwork well, it's on so, those it's covers. So, yeah. And I mean, Howard talking about blokes and cloaks, like it is true. <laughs> Co covers. I can't think of the last book cover I purchased that wasn't a sword and sorcery novel that was at all interesting. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're okay. Yeah. They're, they, they serve the purpose, but it's like. The last book I bought was. Daniel Silva. And yeah, that's, that's boring as shit, whatever you're yeah. sharing. It's like, just show a me, dude. Show me an actual cello and paint it like Frazetta. Yeah. Maybe put a little uh, girl at the bottom of it. Like, uh, well, to be, well, be honest, it is a spy novel. So yeah, yeah, it yeah. looks spyish. But I, you know what's I, it, last thing I, I, I'll say before I keep cutting people off? It's the, <laughs> the comic book industry, right? Is very reliant on the art. It has to be. Mm -hmm. I, I will say from my um, sort of bird's eye view exposure, the interior art is not what it used to be. It just is not. Um, but the covers are still really strong because they realize that the cover sells the goddamn book. Mm -hmm. so, well, technically, the story sells the goddamn book. Yeah. And they always screw over the writer. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yes. That is true. And, and especially in the sort of... Um, big event comic trends that have occurred over the over the last i don't know 15 20 years but yeah i i guess is when you're at the newsstand if you're somebody who's just perusing for comics that cover is going to jump out at you and i and i i feel like that old adage don't judge a book by its cover i got i do i don't ultimately judge it but it's part of what's going to get my foot in the door like with when you all these self-published authors who spend nothing on a cover and they've spent thousands and thousands of hours on their own work. It's such a disservice, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, hot covers. The Let thing that has pissed me off most, the, you know, I did the thing for Marvel, for the, the novella. Yeah, Conan. And all of their advertising, they could not even be bothered to mention the name of the writers of the novellas. Yeah. They would have everybody else. Then a novella, you know, part whatever of a novella. Could you not just fucking mention my name? 
<laughs> it didn't wouldn't cost you a dime. Yeah. But no. You know, but that's, that's but that's why that's why I'm saying too is like I, I actually do believe even whoever was writing the actual issue, they might be a hot name, but that cover is still the part yeah. they're plastering all over the ads. It's in all the you know, the solicitations and yeah, it's, it's huge. Bad. When I when I um with Flaming Crimson, um I was fortunate enough to get uh, an artist by the name of Tom Barber, hmm. who illustrated a lot of uh, sword and sorcery books back in the sixties and seventies. It's a cool. He cover. did, he, he did, he did Robert E. Howard titles uh, for Berkeley back in the day. He did some of the weird tales titles for the reprints that Lynn Carter did that famous one of the skull with a rat on it. You know, that was his, he, the, the guy is phenomenal. And initially my publisher was going to go with something more photoshopped and generic looking. And I said, this is a, this is a history, historical book. And I want to try to capture some of the look of that. And um, he happened to be working with Tom Barber for some covers of his other books. And I was able to meet up with Tom and he, he painted the title, but it was probably a, a little bit of a, you know, just a fortuitous meeting there. But mm -hmm. I, 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 that's that's what I wanted, and I, I do think there is something to that, Matt, where you need to have that look, you know. And and I'm just not a fan of of the Photoshop title. I'm really not. I, no, I think it's... I think when you line them all up on a bookshelf, there's very little to distinguish it one from the other. Right. Something about the old paintings that just pulls you in. I well, find. and I, yeah, and I think I think part of it comes down to marketing, anyways, right? People want to do what if. If it's working, if it's safe, go with it. Make sure it looks like the other thing that sold the thing. Yep. Um, there is some of that. And don't spend any money. Yeah. And I think too, hmm, I don't actually know, but if you think about movie posters, right? Movie posters in the 70s were goddamn amazing, right? Oh, and no. in the 80s too. And Boris Vallejo was illustrating half of them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Also, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Death Stalker too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, a lot of those, um, there's still great movie posters. There's also a lot of trash, yep. but you will still get those, you know, niche ones or, you know, ones that Mondo do or something. And they're really special. So I, I don't know. We're, we're on to another topic now of why, like why covers suck now, but I think it's important. Well, Howard, that was one of the things that drew me to the desert of souls, to be honest. Um, I, I knew your name, yeah. but I love that that cover art. Uh, it's I just love that cover art too. It's super stylized. It it's sword and sorcery, but sort of a little bit modernized, but but enough to be recognizably sword and sorcery. It captures that that desert ethos so well. You know, the Arabian Nights. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, this is like the one where the 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 dude is kind of jumping between it, the minarets. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, really, that's a great cover. Really well done. Yeah. Yeah, I wish. Um, there's a sad story behind that cover. There it is. It's a sad story. There's a sad story. Uh, so St. Martin's, it, then it was a, an imprint of St. Martin's Thomas Dunn. They went to the, uh, went to Barnes and Noble. To look, and it already had a bunch of really nice reviews and Barnes and Noble says, well, that cover looks like Prince of Persia, Prince of Persia tanked. So we don't want. The book. Oh no. And so they went back to him, I guess like, two or three times as more and more good reviews came piling. I said, look at all the reviews it's taking. So now if, 
if the gatekeeper, like the bookstore, does not want the book because they don't like the cover, then it can destroy the author. And so they only took it in like a handful of stores across the United States because they didn't like that amazing cover. And you will see that when they came out with the paperback version of Desert of Souls, they don't use that cover. They use, they use something different. And when they did Bones, mm. the old ones, they do that thing. I, I like the cover to Bones, the old one, but it's much more of a, the, the whole Photoshop look. And it's, we don't even see the characters' faces. It's that modern thing where you see, yeah, you see them from uh, behind. It's just like the backs of their heads looking at the monster. Yeah. Uh, and it was all because of the reception at Barnes and Noble. And I, it's like, man, if my book had come out before Prince of Persia or if Prince of Persia had done better at the box office. Damn you, Prince knows, of Persia. Yeah. Who knows how my career would have been different. Instead of writing only two De Beer and Steam novels, maybe it would have taken off and I'd still be writing. I right. don't know. So yeah. Yeah, it's a sad story for me. Everyone's got a sad story. <laughs> we do. It's true. It's true. Except for Dean, who's just surrounded with armaments and armor, and is just living the. He, living he the almost he, he almost had a sad story, but then <laughs> Lou, whatever was vexing him, with uh, a with a goose arm. Oh <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I think we're. I, I guess you know what, just setting out to do this podcast, planning it, and thinking about it, I was like we're not actually going to come up with a solution. No, we but can't. Just to be clear, there's not, I, I thought though it would be fun to kind of ruminate on this, uh, think out loud. And maybe this will be an interesting piece of time history. If things explode and uh, sword and sorcery really does make a comeback. If Howard hits it big and Scott joins him in like, this will be amazing, right? Look, if Howard hits it big and Scott does whatever the hell he does. <laughs> I don't mean it like that. What I mean is that Howard's Howard's got uh he's he's close to something. He's working on something right now. He's crossing his fingers. And Scott, your book doesn't come out till 2023. So god damn it. <laughs> we, we... <laughs> uh... One finger salute. Well, I mean, if but, I get through, if I get through any doors, I'm going to hold them open for Scott. He damn well knows it. Too. Well, that's that's like the thing that's crazy is you God, two are both excellent. I read your work and I get pissed off because, like, well, I don't really. I I appreciate that you're really good at it, but I'm like, I'm not that good. Um, but I'm also. Yeah. I'm new. You're I'm better new. than you think you are. <laughs> well, you're, maybe. Your you're better than you think you are. Okay. Well, that's good. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, someone compared me to Howard on the Whetstone Discord the other day. I was like, you're stupid. Oh, my God. Thank you. Howard. <laughs> Howard Andrew Jones. Okay. No one compares to uh, Robert E. Howard, except for Lynn, Lynn Carter. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! You didn't Janelle sprague to camp. Oh, uh, uh, Matt, don't go to Howard Days with that attitude. I'm, I'm rolling in. I'm rolling in with a He-Man shirt, and I'm going to wear a Rambo headband that says "De Camp" on it. 
<laughs> oh god and see if you can get your copy of uh, DeCamp's biography uh, <laughs> autographed by somebody yeah. there what's that uh, shitty one everyone hates Dark Valley Driver uh, or something Dark or, Valley or, Destiny yeah De- De- Driver what the hell am I talking about Take, make sure you get selfies taken of it and every <laughs> Can you imagine? That? Yeah, roll roll into Robert E. Howard's bedroom with that book and get a get a listen, take. Matt. <laughs> Jesus, Matt, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, everybody. Yeah. Oh my god. If Matt, Matt, if things work out and we roll into Howard days together, I'm gonna drop you off at the corner, <laughs> and then you can walk in by yourself with your He Man. And does anyone want to play a Conan board game with me? I got it all set up here. Now, see, I, I dare you to take Dark Valley Destiny up to like Rusty Burke and ask him to autograph it. Oh, you, you think he's outsprigged the camp or something? I dare I feel, you. I feel like Bill Cavalier would be the one to punch me in the face. They all would. He seems. It, it would be a round robin punching. Yeah, yeah. He seems scrappy. We'll see. And Mark Finn would finish you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He he do the finishing move. I'd be like, guys, you know, I'm, I just joke around here. Come on. So. Anyways, yeah. Well, uh, I think for myself and I speak for matt i want to thank all three of you for joining us and uh this has been incredibly entertaining for me i've been able to just kind of sit back and take in your thoughts and opinions and stuff like that and uh i think we've covered some good ground again like matt said we haven't solved anything but we've certainly laid some problems out into the open and kind of picked them apart and we're all hoping that the genre that we all love continues to flourish and grow um yeah it's got to because it's it deserves it and again it's got a great history we've got some great modern authors that deserve more attention mm. you know i think we need i do think we need more reviews reviewers to to highlight the new works um i've been thinking about i've been giving some thought to awards i've said this a couple times out loud i probably need to if like like i think we need to have some type of award it used to be the david gemmel award that would highlight mm. good sword and sorcery i think that would highlight the good works point people in the right direction i'd love to see more critical awareness you know uh jason ray carney on whetstone talks about speaking at conferences and panels when when you can these are the things we need you know i i think someone needs to do a good youtube channel someone who's good who's good on video who can you know youtube seems to be i'm selling an old fart but that seems to be the the platform that's going to get you the most hits and views you know to to talk about sword and sorcery there's there's a lot more that can be done the skull probably needs to make more videos would be my guess yeah who does the skull oh yeah and we need skull tv prime time skull tv howard i think Uh, yeah get 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 the skull dancing more that will do it yeah (laughs) Oh. But seriously, I mean, I, I actually, I love that stuff. I, it's actually driving me a bit crazy that there's not more exposure for what the skull is doing. And even during the Kickstarter, it's like, this is entertaining. This is fun. This is wicked. I was, I, I was dying laughing. Watching yeah, this yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's good so, stuff, man. Yeah, it is. Um, so let's start a YouTube channel then. Uh, it's called Deathstalker. Two with, with Brian Murphy, author of Flame and Crimson. Yep, and He Man. Yeah, and and why Masters of the Universe is more sword and sorcery than? And we get a, a it's skull, not. I don't skull believe. immolating one intern per show. I think would be yeah, yeah. would be hilarious in, in um, various ways. The skull in, the skull immolates Orko. <laughs> Just make an intern out of baloney and throw it on a fire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
bologna, the worst of the meats. But make sure there's ketchup inside it so it'll have that, you know, the blood. Oh my gosh. Well, with that, (laughs) thank you very much for uh, tuning into this uh, podcast. And may your swords always remain sharp. Thank you.